All right, M12, how are we doing? Yes, yes, it's so good to see all of you. So glad you're here. This is the very first M12 of the new school year. Glad you guys are hanging out with us. Hey, I got a quick question. Are there any sixth graders in the room? Let me hear you. Oh, come on. You need to be proud. You're in sixth grade. Here we go. One more time. If you're in sixth grade, let me hear you. There we go. Uh, Do we have any seventh graders in the room? Any seventh graders? Okay. What about eighth graders? Eighth graders. There we go. All right. Here's what I want to do to welcome our sixth graders. I want all of our seventh and eighth graders to give them a huge M12 welcome. Shout as loud as you can on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Sixth graders, we are so pumped that you guys are hanging out with us tonight. Uh, also, check it out. If this is your first time to M12 ever, like you're so, uh, we're so excited that you are here tonight. And like Zach said earlier, we have a first-time visitor room right next door. We got a bunch of free stuff we want to give you. We got snacks. We got drinks. And if you're in sixth grade or you have, uh, or you're a sixth grade connection group or life group leader, we want you to join us next door as well because we want to hang out with you then. So here's the cool thing. Tonight we're starting a brand new series. The series is called Circles. And this whole series seeks to answer this one question. Here's the question. Is what are we known for? What are we known for? Like what is M12 known for? In other words, what is M12 all about? Like if you were trying to give a definition for what M12 is, what, what are we known for? Now, I think there's lots of different definitions that we could give for what we're known for. Um, here's, here's one possibility, what we're known for. Hashtag green team scheme team. Yeah, that's right. Real quick, how many of you just got back from NTS camp about two weeks ago? Let me hear you. That's right. Hey, by the way, if you did not go to NTS camp or you don't even know what that is, it's our summer camp that we do every single year. And I'm telling you, it is a blast. If you didn't go this past year, you missed out. This next summer, you got to go. It is hands down the greatest thing we do. We do all summer. And when I got back from NTS camp, when I got back from NTS camp, this was the hashtag that I saw floating around Twitter and Instagram. Now, uh, many of you may see this and say, well, What's, what's that all about? And believe it or not, that was actually, that was the same question I had. I was like, green team, scheme team? What does that even mean? Because here's the deal. I, um, I get to work with middle school and high school students as like my full-time job, which is awesome. Like hands down, greatest job on the planet. Uh, but the thing is, you guys, no offense, um, but y- y'all make up words, okay? Like you guys make up words or you take words that already have a definition that's plenty good on its own, but then you like give that word a new definition. So I never know what you're talking about, okay? And so I saw this and I was like, green team, what does that even mean? So I consulted my good friend Urban Dictionary and here's what scheme means according to Urban Dictionary. Definition, to devise a devious plan, to be shady or otherwise use intellectual power to deceive or carry out a plan, blah, blah, blah. Uh, now, I read this, and I knew immediately this was not the definition that you guys were talking about. Um, because it says use intellectual power. And that's not you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's fine. It's okay. You can laugh. Okay, so I knew this wasn't you. Uh, and so then I scrolled down, and I saw definition number three. And this is, this is us. Scheme. Uh, to hit on or flirt with a woman in a devious fashion. 
yeah, that sounds like us, okay? Often used in reference to a younger woman or a friend's girl, okay? So basically, to flirt. So hashtag green team, scheme team means flirt. And then uh, Urban Dictionary gives us a fun little example, okay? So here's Johnny. And Johnny says, did you see Bob scheme on those high school schoolers uh, at the bar last night? Um, so side note, don't go to the bar, okay? Because then Bob's going to scheme on you, okay? No one, Bob's a creeper, by the way. So you don't, you don't want that, okay? And then Rob said, yeah, what a, and then he said things that we're not going to repeat here. So anyways, that's what scheme means according to Urban Dictionary. It means to be like overly flirtatious. And I saw that and I was like, no. No, not, not y'all. Like, there's no, not like, there's no way it's true of you. And then I saw this tweet right here by one of our students. All caps. Did any of you listen in camp about not being in relationships so young, you silly schemers? Okay. So, so apparently, apparently there's some scheming going on. And, uh, and then I started to dig. And here's the next one that I saw by our very own Andrew. Uh, Andrew's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, this picture is not too bad. It's him with a girl by his side. It's a side hug. He's at church. That's no big deal. The problem is this little emoji right here, the kissy face. Okay, that's how you know. So there's some scheming happening right there. And just when you thought Andrew was done scheming, oh, no, 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 no. It goes further than that. Here's the next, the next tweet. Is Andrew with two other girls? Two different, and then all these little heart emojis. So something is happening, but Andrew's not done. No, 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 he's not. Here's the next tweet. Another girl, and where's his shirt? You know what I'm saying? Like, Andrew, what are you doing? Now, okay, here's the deal. Okay, next, uh, next slide. So Andrew is not the only one that's guilty uh, of scheming. In fact, I looked through some of the NTS camp pictures, and I saw what I like to call background schemers, okay? These are people that when, you know, you girls, you're just trying to take a picture, right? Like you're just trying to pose in front of some cool thing and then a guy sweeps in in the background and schemes. Check it out. Here's the first picture, okay? Three girls just hanging out in front of the tree and then schemer, you know what I'm saying? Like there he is. He's just, he's, okay. So uh, that's one. Here's the next one. Here's the next one, right? Just... Hey, it's just a lot of girls, and uh-oh, found him. We got some scheming going on. Okay, all right, here's the next one. Here's the next one. That's some fierce scheming, you know what I'm saying? Like, just as fierce as it gets. All right, and then here's the last one right here. Um, okay, so not as much in the background there. Okay, anyways, anyways, next slide, next slide, next slide. So, so when you ask the question, what are we known for, one possible answer is hashtag green team scheme team. Right? Like one thing we could be known for is green team scheme team. But I don't, I don't think that's the only thing that we could be known for. In fact, I think, I think M12 could be known as a place that's like cool to hang out. In fact, some of you uh, that are visitors, maybe this is your first time here, maybe the reason you came is because your friend said, dude, it's awesome. Trust me, you're going you're gonna to love it there. And so that's what M12 is known for. Or maybe M12 is known as the place where you learn more and more about God. Maybe that's what M12 is known for. Maybe M12 is known as the place where you go and you sing and you worship and the band is awesome and the lights are cool and everything is good. Or maybe, maybe for you, M12 is the place that you go and you feel safe, right? Like, it's a, like, like it's, a, it's a good environment. Like you always feel better regardless of the week you've had, regardless of the day you've had. M12 is the place you go and you feel 
better. So, so there's lots of different ways that we can answer this question, what are we known for? But I think to get to the bottom of this question, what are we known for? We need to dig deeper and ask this question. What are you known for? What are you known for? What are you known for? Maybe, maybe there's some of you that you're known as like the popular kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you got so many friends, you've lost count. You always have to be at the right place at the right time with the right people. And you, and you got like the selfie just right with the people in the background. And your Instagram feed is awesome. And so many people follow you on Twitter. And you want to be known as the person that everyone knows and everyone likes and everyone enjoys being around. And so the thing you're known for is the popular kid. Or, or maybe for you, uh, the thing that you're known for is your athletic ability. Like maybe you're known as the kid that plays football. The kid that plays lacrosse, the kid that plays basketball, and you want people to know how good you are at that sport, that's the thing that you are known for, is athletics. Maybe, maybe there's some of you uh, that are known for your good grades. No, okay, not many of you, uh, not many, okay, no, but I bet, I bet if we were to take a poll, there's a few of you in here that that stuff matters to you. Like, you want to have the best grade in the class, you want to have the highest test score. You want to be the one that knows everything. That's what you want to be known for. Maybe, maybe there's some of you that you want to be known as the kid that has it all together, that like you're really moral and you never say anything bad and you never do anything bad and everyone likes you because you're really nice. That's what you want to be known for. Or maybe, maybe you want to be known as the rebel, the one that never does anything right, the one that doesn't care what other people think. And that's what you want to be known for. But see, all of us want to be known for something. And even though we got all this stuff going on in life, there's usually one thing that we want to be known for. In fact, in fact, we put it this way. We're going to show a picture of some circles right here. And this, this is like your life right now. And you got all this stuff swirling around. So you got, like, you just started school, and so you got homework, you got tests, you got grades, you got teachers, you got coaches, you got sports, you got after school stuff, you got your family, you got your friends, you got relationships, and you got all this stuff spinning around. And like over the summer, it's actually pretty manageable, right? Because you don't really have to worry about sports. Maybe you don't have to worry about teachers. But then when school starts, all this stuff starts going crazy. And you start getting overwhelmed because you got too much stuff to deal with. But all of this stuff in your life revolves around one thing in the middle. And that is your core. This is your core right here. And it directs your entire life. It's the thing that affects everything else, everything else in life, every relationship, every decision, every emotion that you feel revolves around this core. In fact, we put it this way. Your core determines your course. If you want to take notes, that's actually the first blank in your notes. Your core determines your course. In other words, the thing that is at the middle of who you are is going to decide what kind of life you have. It determines your course of life. And so for some of you, your core is going to lead you to an incredible life, a life that's completely full, a life that has joy and has peace and has contentment. But your core could also lead you to a life of great regret where you're sad and you're depressed and you feel shame. And all of that hinges, what kind of life you have hinges on what is at your core because your core determines your course. And so the difference between a life full of reward and a life full of regret is all based on what is at your core. It's the one thing that changes everything. Because all of your decisions, 
All of your emotions, all of your friendships, all of your family, all of your everything revolves around your core, and it's the one thing that can change your life. And so the question is, what is at your core? What is at your core? Like, what is the one thing that your life revolves around? What's the one relationship that you care the most about? What is at your core? Or maybe a better question is, what should be at your core, right? Because, I mean, if it's true, if it's true that your core is the difference between a great life and a terrible life, then that's a great question. What should be at your core? What's the thing that should guide your life? And this is not a new question. In fact, Jesus himself actually addressed this question. And so I want to listen in to a conversation that Jesus had with a bunch of people that didn't like him. Because he actually addressed the question, what should be at your core? So if you would, grab your Bibles. They should be under your chair. Uh, maybe the chair right in front of you. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. This is on page 990. Matthew chapter 22. And here's the deal. If you don't have a Bible of your own, um, like maybe this is your first time to church or maybe it's, 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 it's been a while and you don't have a Bible of your own, we want this to be our gift to you. So if you would, like literally, this is our gift. Take this book home with you. You can write your name in it. That's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have a Bible at home that you can read. And so we're Matthew chapter 22 on page 990. And here's the deal. There was a lot of people that loved Jesus and thought Jesus was incredible. And one of the reasons is that Jesus, among many other things, was an unbelievable teacher. Like he was the greatest teacher because he had a way of saying things that just made sense. In fact, he had more wisdom and more confidence and more passion when he taught than any other teacher of his day. In fact, people would listen to Jesus and their jaws would drop open. And they were like, I can't believe the things that he's saying. It's just there was something different about the way he taught. He was giving real life answers to life's real questions. Things that people were actually struggling with. And so people wanted to listen to him. In fact, uh, right at the beginning of uh, verse 33, chapter 22, this is what it says. When the crowds heard this, heard Jesus talking, they were astonished at his teaching. Astonished. In other words, they're listening to him and they're speechless. They're like, this guy is the greatest teacher I've ever heard before. Now, um, because Jesus was so good at teaching... He made other teachers feel jealous because they weren't nearly as good as Jesus. They weren't nearly as wise as Jesus. They weren't nearly as eloquent. And so there were teachers, religious teachers, that were upset at Jesus because he was better at teaching than they were. And so they got jealous and they tried, they tried to one-up Jesus. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I say like one-up? Have you, ever had, have you ever had that friend that like no matter what story you tell, he always tries to one-up your story? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like, you, um, like you're telling this great story and then he swoops in and he says your story is dumb and he starts telling a story that he thinks is even better, right? Like, like it's, your, um, it's your first day back uh, from, from summer vacation and you're telling your friends, you're like, hey, I, uh, I went to the beach and it was awesome, man. Like we went, to, we went to Florida and I did some body surfing because the waves were like really good. And then you're finishing up your story and out of nowhere, that guy comes in. You know what I'm saying? That guy, he swoops in. He says, oh, yeah, that's nothing. And by the way, whenever you hear someone say that's nothing, you know you got a one-upper on your hands. And so he says, that's nothing. He says, you went to Florida. I went to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, I went to Australia. And I swam with sharks, baby. You're going to see me on Shark Week next week. Which, by the way, let's um, pause for a second. Shark Week 
three days. You know what I'm saying? He knows. It's coming. Okay, anyways, back to the story. So anyways, he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, you're going to see me on Shark Week. Like, I punched a hammerhead in the face, and he starts telling all these crazy, crazy, ridiculous stories, and he's trying to make you feel bad about your story because he's a one-upper. He's a one-upper. Do you guys know anyone like that? Does, d- does anyone know the one-uppers, right? If you're not raising your hand, um, it could be you. Anyways, it's whatever. Uh, and, so, and so the one-uppers, right? Now, sometimes... Okay, you guys can stop. You're like, I know so many of them. I'm going to keep raising my hands. Now, there's some people, and maybe you guys have this, uh, these people in your class, that they like one-upping the teachers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're sitting there in class, and then you see that person raise their hand, and you're like, ugh. You just get so upset because you know that they don't care about the question they're about to ask. All they want to do is prove the teacher wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're just trying to make the teacher feel bad. They're trying to one-up the teacher. And that's exactly what these people were trying to do to Jesus. They were so upset at Jesus. They were so jealous of Jesus that they tried to one-up Jesus and ask Jesus a question that he couldn't answer. And so here's what happens. In, uh, starting in verse 34, this is what it says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, uh, which was, that was like a group of people, a group of teachers that tried to one-up Jesus and it didn't work out so well. Because um, when you try to outsmart Jesus, who's the son of God, creator of the universe, it's not really going really to work out. So anyways, he, uh, so they tried to outsmart Jesus. It didn't work. So then the Pharisees got together. Okay? These were the people that were also teachers, and they thought they could one-up Jesus. So verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Here's what he said. The question to stump Jesus. Teacher, teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, to us, this doesn't seem like a big deal, but here's what it meant in that day. The law was made up of 613 commandments. 613 commandments that you had to keep in order to say that you kept the law. And they believed, many rabbis believed, that no commandment was greater than another commandment. Okay, so you got 613 commandments, and no one is greater than another. And then this guy comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, which one's the best? Which one's the greatest? And they thought they could trick Jesus. Because here's what they believed. They believed that all the 613 commandments are all spinning around, and you got to keep track of all of them. And there's no one that's greater than the other. Just like maybe you think about your life, and you're like, there's no one thing that's greater than anything else. Right? I got teachers, and I got, I got family, I got parents, I got brothers, I got sisters, I got like a girlfriend, I got a boyfriend, I got my friend. I got all these things that I'm trying to manage. And Steve, you're trying to tell me that there is one thing that guides everything? No, there's no way. There's 613. There's all these things that are trying to guide my life. And that's what they said to Jesus. And they tried to trick him. Because they didn't think that anything existed at the core. They didn't think that there was one thing that would guide your life. But Jesus understood that your core determines your course. And he talked about what was the most important thing to have at your core. And so here's what Jesus said. They thought they were tricking Jesus, and this is what he said. Verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's what it is. That's what you should have at your core. In other words, the thing that is central to your life should be a relationship with God. And there is nothing more important. There is nothing greater. The main thing you need to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart. 
with all your soul and with all your mind. Now notice, notice that Jesus did not say, love the Lord your God with a little bit of your heart and part of your mind and just some of your soul. No, no, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your emotions, with all of your friendships, with all of your classes, with all of your teachers, with all of your coaches, everything you do, every part of who you are should love the Lord your God. In other words, God should be so much at the core of who you are that everything else spins around. Everything else revolves around your core, which is your relationship with God. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind should be loving God. In other words, our attitude towards God should be this. It should be, I'm going to show it up on the screen, should be all of me loves all of you, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to sing it for you. You guys know that song? All of me? Yes. And the truth is, the rest of the song does not apply to God in any way, but this This part of the song is actually the way our relationship with God should be. That all of me loves all of you, God. God, that every part of who I am loves everything that you are. Not not just part of my life, God, but all of my life. In other words, when you look at your life and you look at all the stuff that's spinning around, God is not something that you just add on to your life. God is not just a Thursday night when you come to M12. God is not just every now and then you feel bad, so you should pray. God is not just, I think I'm going to sing some songs or maybe listen to some worship music. No, God is central. God is not part of your life. He is all of your life. All of you should love all of God. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, I, um, when, I was, when I was preparing this talk, I thought about sharing a story about a time that I only loved God with part of my heart and part of my soul and part of my mind, and I was going to tell you about what, what God did and what he told me to kind of help me break through. But then recently, I heard a story about one of you, one of our students, and it was, in my opinion, better than my story, which this, this is what I want you to know before I tell the story. If, if you think, if you're waiting for me to tell you what to do, you don't need to wait anymore. You can do this with God. You can have a better relationship with God. You can make him everything that you are, and you don't need to wait. You can start today. And that's exactly what this girl did. She, um, she went to NTS camp, had a phenomenal time, and I think she would tell you, if she were to be honest, that before NTS camp, she, she loved God. She did. She thought God was great. She loved coming to church. Um, she was into all that. But she was only loving God with part of her heart and some of her soul and just a little bit of her mind. And then camp changed everything for her. And she realized that that was not good enough for her, that she needed to love God with all of her heart, all of her soul, all of her mind, all of her emotions, all of her friendships, all of her relationships. Every little corner of her life needed to be in God's hands. And so she got back from NTS camp and she did something incredibly brave. She talked to her parents. And she said, hey, um, mom and dad, I, uh, I have these obsessions that I'm putting before God. And I want them to end. 
because I want to love God with everything that I am. And then she told him this. She said, Mom and Dad, you, you thought that the last time I did drugs was back when I was in seventh grade. But that's not true. I've been doing them a lot more recently. And then she did something incredible. And she got all of the alcohol that she had been hiding and all of the weed that she had been hiding. And she gave it to her parents. And she said, I don't want to live this life anymore. I'm done loving God with just some of my heart and some of my soul. I want all of it to be God's. And so she gave it up. And then not only did she do that, but she was in a relationship with a guy and they had broken up and it was kind of off and on and she knew the relationship wasn't good. And so when she was telling me the story, she actually showed me a text that she sent to her ex-boyfriend and I want to read it to you. Um, this, is, this is what she said when she got back from camp. Um, she said, this past week, I learned so much, it's crazy. But long story short, I finally let go of you. There's no point of being friends because there are too many feelings there. I decided to give up all my worries and all my obsessions to God. And with you as one of my friends, it would be harder to focus on my relationship with God. Maybe one day later on when we are both ready to be friends, we can. Thank you for being a part of such a great chapter in my life. But now, it's time for it to end. The amount of bravery it took to send that text. The amount of bravery it took for her to be honest with her parents and say, I've got habits that I've been hiding. I've got things that I've been hiding from God and now I'm ready to give God everything that I am. That it's no longer about just part of my life and a little bit of my soul. It's everything. And so I'm willing to tell my friends, I'm willing to tell my family that all of me belongs to God and I want to love God with everything that I am. And my core, I don't want it to be about me, I don't want it to be about my friends, I want it to be about Jesus and I want him to be the number one thing in my life, that he is not an add-on. He is the one relationship that directs everything else in my life. And so here's the question for tonight. The question is, what does it look like? for God to be at your core? What does it look like for God, creator of the universe that loves you more than you can possibly imagine to be the one thing in your life that directs your life? What does it look like for God to be the thing that all of your life revolves around? All of your decisions, all of your emotions, all of your friendships, all of your habits, everything you do at school. Because your core determines your course. And what is at your core is not only going to determine what kind of life you have, it's going to determine what kind of year you have this year at school. So what does it look like for God to be at your core? Maybe there's some of you that for God to be at your core, that means there are some habits that need to be broken. And you've been living a long time loving God with part of your heart and a little bit of your mind and some of your soul. But then on Friday nights... You got this part of your life that you just kind of hold on to. And then, and then you've got this other habit that you don't want other people to know about because that, that makes you feel better and you don't want to give that part to God. And maybe tonight, tonight's the night that you give that up and you say, God, I'm done hiding things from you. I want all of me. 
all of it to be yours. Maybe, um, maybe there's some of you that you have some friends that you've been hanging out with. And you hang out with those friends because it's comfortable, but you know that they lead you in a direction that you do not need to go down. And maybe tonight is the night that you begin to make a shift from that friend group to a different friend group. Because you know that even though you love God, you're, you're not willing to give up these friends, even though you know you should. And so maybe tonight's the night that things begin to change. And then I think, I think there may be a group of you that 95% of your life belongs to God. In fact, when you come here to M12, you have a good time, everything is, is, is good to go, like you're super happy, super excited. Uh, when you're on Twitter, you, like, you love Jesus and you love your friends and everything is good. And then when you're at school, like things are good and you got great relationships. And then when you're at church, everything is good. But, but, when you're at home with your parents, you're incredibly disrespectful. And you yell at them and you argue with them and you're upset with them. And you say things to them that you would never say to anyone else. And it's just 5% of your life that you're holding on to. And maybe today God's saying, if you're going to love me with everything that you have, it means that you respect them too. And so maybe tonight is the night that things begin to change between you and your parents. Because if it's true that your core determines your course, then why would we not have Jesus at the core of who we are? I mean, imagine what would happen. Imagine if just the people in this room, if we decided today to make a change, that instead of having our habits at the center of our life, our selfish wants, our bad attitude, what if today was the day that we had God at the center of who we were, and what if it changed everything? What if M12 was known as the place where people go that chase after God with everything they have? What if we were known as people that loved God with everything that we have, with all of our decisions, all of our relationships, all of our habits? Imagine, imagine what your schools would look like. Imagine what M12 would look like. Imagine how different your family could be if you made God the number one thing in your life. Your core determines your course. And so what would it look like today for God to be at your core? Let me pray for you. God, I do love these students, and I know that you love them so much more than I do. And we talk about loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, but the truth is you loved us first. You initiated the love that we have for you. Because you sent Jesus, your only son, to die on the cross for us. And that's the reason that we have hope. That's the reason that we can love you with everything that we have. It's because you loved us first. And you loved us more than our parents ever will. You love us more than our friends ever will. Your love for us is great. And so God, for the students in this room that are struggling with habits that they're hiding, would today be the day that those chains are broken and they would be honest with themselves and they'd be honest with other people and say, I struggle and I need help and I don't want these habits anymore. 
God, for the students that have friends that are leading them in a direction they don't want to go, would today be the day that they break those chains and they begin establishing new friendships, maybe here at M12 with people that believe just like they do. And God, I also pray for those that, I don't know how many there are, but those that struggle with their relationship with their parents, God, would you help them? Would you help them apologize if they need to apologize? And I know it's tough and I know it's uncomfortable, but maybe today's the day that you bring a breakthrough at home. And who knows? <laughs> who knows what you could do then? God, we want you to be the number one thing in our life. We want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. But God, it's not easy, so would you help us, please? Please help us. So we love you. And we want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.